the Why Watch That Movie Talk. All right, we've got some first looks for you. So listen, listeners, hold on to your seats. We're going to run through these because you may end up running to the theaters to see them. The first, we've got Private Life. And that was just aired, it just aired at the New York Film Festival, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. It stars uh, Paul Giamatti and Katherine Hahn, along with others. And it's directed and written by Tamara Jenkins. Yes. So we're in Manhattan. Rachel played by Katherine Hahn and Richard played by Paul Giamatti. They're trying to have a child and they're not spring chickens. So what should they do? Try fertility treatments? What if that doesn't work? Well, they could try adoption or surrogate motherhood too. Heck, why not all three and see which one sticks? So over the course of a year, we see them attempt IVF, which requires the financial help of Richard's brother. Now, this doesn't make Richard's sister-in-law, played by Molly Shannon, happy. Not at all. She thinks that giving them money will only encourage their folly. On top of that, they also have to prepare for adoption screening. Plus, finding a surrogate to donate eggs is its own form of torture, which they know all too well. Now, amidst all of this madness, they've also agreed to give their stepniece a place to stay in the city as she finishes college and starts her writing career. Now, they themselves are creatives and writers, so they're good mentors. But as time progresses, they realize that in their stepniece, they might have another way to become parents. But how will her mother, who again is Richard's sister-in-law, react? <laughs> the family's never going to be the same again. Now, this is the kind of movie ref that fits Netflix nicely. You don't have to see it in a theater. It's character-driven. And writer-director Tamara Jenkins elicits believable performances from the cast. And she takes advantage of uh, New York City as a setting. So, you know, we see the idiosyncrasies here. The population density adds texture to the plot points. And with Catherine and Paul as this married couple, they're well-matched. They work very well together, okay? Now, she's all over the place, and he just goes, oh, okay. I mean, it's that kind of dynamic. Mm. So they make all of this stuff seem natural, and the rest of the cast, they get the job done. The problem is the runtime, though, okay? Mm. It's just too long, and the meandering style from Jenkins, it can work as long as it matters somehow. That didn't always happen. Uh, but overall, it's a fine film that's driven by its ensemble and the sensibilities of New York City. And of course, if you're interested in the story, you know, the challenges of having a child later in life, then certainly check this out. Oh, I hear that you also saw a first look of the new movie, The Happy Prince, but this is way back <laughs> at Sundance. Uh, guess what? what? Rupert Everett. Mm directed and wrote it yeah and he stars in it mm. that's a first yes uh, also colin firth is showing up emily watson you've got uh tom wilkinson all sorts of english actors basically <laughs> <laughs> and it's about oscar wilde but it's a different oscar wilde than we know that's right it's late 19th century Oscar Wilde here. So what's happening is he's in his waning years. He's in a rundown hotel room in Paris. He's just laying down, not looking good. And he drifts in and out of consciousness. And as he's doing that, he's remembering the past, mistakes and all, and he confronts his inevitable future. The whole reason why uh, Oscar's in Paris and not in England is because he's just finished a two-year stint in prison for gross indecency with men. 
Remember, we're in the late 1890s. So he's been shunned by the very society that once embraced him. He doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have any prospects. But he does have a few friends who visit him in Paris, including Colin Firth's Reggie Turner. And he's living with Robbie Ross, played by Edwin Thomas, who resents Wilde's unceasing yearning for the very lover who's to blame for his imprisonment. And that's played by Colin Morgan. Now, is Oscar going to reunite with this guy? Is that a smart thing to do? His friends don't think so. Plus, he has a wife and kids, but the wife is in charge of the purse. And his wife is played by Emily Watson. And what is she going to do after everything she's endured? Right? So is Oscar going to be able to replace the London society that shunned him with the these people in Paris or not? Also, there's Tom Wilkinson's father, Dunn, is he going to be able to absolve Oscar of all of his sins? Because time for Oscar is running out. Now for the review. Rupert Everett, like you said in his directorial debut, he does a fine job, but there's nothing special about it. The performances are solid. The camera work is appropriate. And it made sense. He goes from handheld, and that's when Oscar's health is deteriorating. You get steady cam shots when it's in the past. So all of that makes sense. I don't know that there's anything memorable here, though. I wouldn't call it boring. It's just, you know, fine. And the point is this. The film should focus on its strength because the most important, or I should say the most interesting parts of the film were about the hypocrisy of wild society. How they praise him on one hand, then after everything goes down, they're shunning him. Mm -hmm. I wanted more of that from this. But look, if you like a darker sort of period piece, you can check this out because you're in good hands with the cast. Ooh, you also, good gracious critic, you're busy. We saw <laughs> a first look of Netflix's new movie, Hold the Dark, which is currently available. Now, this is directed by Jeremy uh, Solnier, and it's written by Macon Blair based on William Giraldi's book. And it stars, namely, Jeff Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, among others. So, do tell. Well, we have Medora Sloan, played by Riley Keough. She's a young mother living in Alaska. She claims that her son has been taken by a pack of wolves. Okay. And he ain't the first one, meaning the first child in the community. Mm -hmm. Now, while she'd love nothing more than to hunt them down and make them pay, she doesn't know how. Also, her husband, Vernon, played by Alexander Skarsgård, he's fighting in the war in Iraq. So this is the recent past. And she doesn't want him to come home to find it. The son is gone and no one has anything to, has done anything about it, right? Now she resents her husband anyway for leaving her after he promised to stay. So what she does is turns to Russell Core, played by Jeffrey Wright, for help. Now, Russell is an expert in all things wolf. He wrote a book on it. He's a survivalist. But she's old, but he's older than she imagined, right? So he shows up, she goes, Oh, okay, I didn't know you were that old. He's retired, but he agrees to help Medora go after the wolf pack. And there's this strange sort of relationship they develop. So exactly what's going on with Medora? Plus what's going to happen when Vernon returns home, right? He's got his own sense of justice and he's not afraid, afraid to enforce it. Watch out, everybody. And this pulls in local cop Donald Merriam, played by James Badge Dale, in horrific ways. So in the end, Vernon 
his mysterious wife, and Russell the wolf hunter. They go to places they never imagined, or maybe Russell never imagined. Maybe the other two did. Now, look, this movie, it sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it, Ref? That's what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, it does. It sounds like a, a movie that, a horror movie I'd never want to be in. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. But Alexander Skarsgård, he shows up, right? And then I was like, is this like some bad writer's version of Taylor Sheridan's work? <laughs> I mean, the change was so abrupt. I, I was like, did I miss something? Because it was on to something in the beginning. You have Jeffrey Wright as a wolf hunter. I want to see that movie. I'll pay for that. But they didn't. They shifted their perspective halfway through without developing that. I don't understand. Hmm. So after the Taylor Sheridan section, right, it does go (laughs) back to horror. It does go back to horror, but in a different way and back and forth and back and forth it goes. It's two hours of this, okay? I just wonder how they got these actors here. Uh, it looks the part. Maybe that's how. I mean, it's on Netflix, everybody. So just check it out and see whether I'm right or not. Oh, boy. Well, we're going to wrap this <laughs> this uh, First Looks me movie talk with 22 July or 22nd July, however you want to look at that, because um, mm, mm. that's a date that many will never forget. Uh, namely, Paul Greengrass, who directed it. And he wrote it. And I'm just going to give you this, listeners. I am not going to attempt to pronounce any of these names. This yeah. is a Swedish, I believe a Swedish, uh, yeah, uh, namely yeah. a, a Norwegian, Swedish, that area cast. So their names are um, specific to that. We just know that Paul Greengrass, Born Identity, no, not Born Identity, Born Supremacy. Supremacy and Ultimatum, um, among others, uh, directed it. So, yeah. It's on Netflix. Absolutely. And yeah, as the title says, it's the 22nd of July in 2011. And a far right extremist uh, detonated a car bomb in Oslo, Norway. Then he went to a leadership camp for teens, which was associated with the Norwegian Labor Party, and carried out a mass shooting, killing 77 people. Can't believe that. It's so crazy. Yeah, and this is real. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. this. Now, his plan was to send a message against immigration, uh, Muslim immigration to Norway and all of Europe, to be specific. So then what happened? That's what 22 July focuses on as it depicts what the survivors, the politicians, and the lawyers had to do to forge ahead on the path to healing and reconciliation. It's told from the vantage point of Villar, who's one of the teenage survivors. And as a result of the attack, Villar's life will forever be in a precarious situation. So how does he deal with that? And how do his parents, one of whom is a politician, deal with that? How does his younger brother, who was there with him during the attack, deal with that? In addition, this film gives voice to Lara, who befriends Villar after their shared tragedy. And Lara has to contend with being hated for doing absolutely nothing wrong, right? She's a Muslim. Another perspective here is the perspective of the prime minister of Norway. What can he do to keep his country together in the face of this this horror? Now, speaking of which, on the other hand, 22 July isn't afraid to provide the terrorist perspective, along with the perspective of his hand-picked lawyer, who's actually a mild-mannered man, but he's really good at his job. So he's really in a situation there. He doesn't want to do this. 
So we have that as well. And look, what this film is about is how a country can overcome the worst terror attack in its history. Again, it's a true story. It's told in three parts. And it does feature an all-Norwegian cast and crew, I believe. But it's spoken in English. So you don't have to read subtitles, okay, if you're an English speaker. Now, uh, you're thinking maybe United 93, Patriots Day, right? When it comes to this, where they depict the events that led up to a terrorist attack from multiple perspectives. So you get that, including the terrorist perspective. But for this movie as well, they go beyond the attack. So we see what happens afterward. We see how they have to adjust to living in a new world for them. Yeah. Right. And we also see what's going on with the terrorist and his lawyer, as I said, in this no win situation. So it's a tough watch. It has to be. And as a result, here's the main question. Is it worth it? And I have to say it is. Yes. These kinds of stories, unfortunately, they're nothing new. So when it comes to green grass, he can only do certain things uh, in telling the story and keep it appropriate. So don't expect something new in the presentation, but everything is solidly done here without a bunch of fuss. You got good acting, cinematography, sound, music, all of that stuff. And what they do by not getting in the way is they give you as a viewer a chance to empathize, Mm -hmm. to go through this with these people, even when you really don't want to when it comes to that terrorist. Yeah. Okay. It's so it's there. I mean, I was on the verge of tears for most of it. What? Really? Yes. So it's honest, it's moving, and it's a great tribute to the people who lost their lives here and the people who survived. Well yeah. done. Well, remember, Greengrass um, is a documentary, and, and yeah. he, you know, that was his background. So I'm very eager to see it. Listen, all these movies, at least three of them, you can watch them on Netflix right now. <laughs> so there's no need to wait. Um, listen, listeners, there is it's it's a season of movies. It's a season of TV. There is really no excuse to say I don't know what to watch. 